Welcome back everyone. The 4-Factor Dividend Growth Portfolio is my own personal version of SCHD, tailored to my focus for creating a portfolio whose main objective is dividend growth with a strong total return. July was another decent month for the portfolio, as it added 2.44%, bringing the since inception return up to 22.8%. That is way better of a return than I initially expected when I launched this strategy in November of last year. Not only is this portfolio performing significantly better than SCHD in terms of total return, it is also doing better than the S&P 500. The S&P is a tough index to beat, and beating it with this portfolio is not really the main objective. The reason I like to stack up this return against the S&P 500 is because if I did not adopt the 4-factor strategy, the easiest place to invest my money for an adequate long-term return is to simply buy into the S&P 500 index. There are 3 more months to go before the first year for this portfolio will end, and the margin of outperformance the S&P 500 is not wide. After July, it sits at just 2.75%. One bad month could see this lead flip into a loss. Whether or not this portfolio will be ahead of the S&P come November, when it's time to rebalance the constituent stocks, doesn't matter much to me. What I would really like for this strategy to accomplish is to generate a 12% annualized rate of return over a long period of time. Say at least 5 years, and probably much longer than that. Sitting at nearly 23% today, 9 months into the first year, is a pretty comfortable place to be in. It offers the strategy a little cushion should we see a downturn in the market in the next few months. I'm not a big fan of predicting which way the market will move tomorrow or next year, but I am committed to following this strategy for at least a few years to see how it'll work out. Granted, I did not commit a large portion of my invested capital to this strategy, and therefore its impact on my overall return will be minimal, regardless if it performs exceptionally well or if it utterly fails. I've made a few key observations during the last 9 months that have changed the way the strategy will be implemented for fiscal year number 2. If you have followed me along on this journey, you are probably familiar with the process of how this portfolio was originally constructed, and if you haven't, here's a brief reminder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The idea for this portfolio originated from SCHD, one of the most popular dividend ETFs on the US market. I looked under the hood of SCHD, and really the underlying index attracts, the Dow Jones US Dividend 100 Index. The main part of the stock selection process for this index is based around the use of four factors. These factors are the free cash flow total debt ratio, the forward dividend yield, the five-year dividend growth rate, and the return on equity. And the index uses these four factors to rank its universe of investable stocks to select the 100 best companies that are included in the portfolio. I like this stock selection method and decided to borrow it with a few modifications that would tailor it to better align with my vision for dividend growth investing. The first change I applied was to replace the return on equity with the return on capital. While both metrics measure a company's profitability, I believe the return on capital is a superior measure, because unlike the return on equity that simply measures profitability in relation to shareholder equity, the return on capital includes debt financing into the equation. The second change I made was using a different starting universe of stocks. The Dow Jones US Dividend 100 Index starts out with all companies that are part of the Dow Jones US Broad Market Index, excluding REITs. It then applies a few filters, like the company must have at least 10 years of consecutive dividend payments, it must have a minimum float-adjusted market capitalization of $500 million, and a minimum 3-month average daily volume traded of at least $2 million. 
The stocks that pass these three conditions are then sorted in descending order by the forward dividend yield, and only the top half are considered for inclusion. At this point, the index applies the four-factor selection process. My starting universe of stocks was chosen through a simple screener that aimed to identify quality dividend growth stocks. I used the following eight conditions to create the initial list of companies to consider for inclusion. A payout ratio of 80% or lower. A 3- and 5-year dividend growth rate of at least 5%. A 5-year revenue growth rate of at least 5%. And a 5-year earnings per share growth rate of at least 5%. The stock must also trade on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. It must have a wide or narrow moat rating from Morningstar. And it must have a standard or exemplary stewardship rating also from Morningstar. When I ran this screener back in October of 2022, it generated a short list of 174 stocks. I then applied the four-factor stock selection process and narrowed this list to just the top 30 companies. I also copied the weighing approach from the Dow Jones US Dividend 100 Index that used the capped float-adjusted market cap to determine the weight of each constituent stock. My capped weight was 6.67%, or twice an equal weight allocation. While this strategy has worked out great so far, I will make a few changes when it comes time to run the screening process again in 3 months. I will keep the same method for selecting the initial universe of stocks and the same 4-factor stock selection process. The major changes will be how many stocks I select and determining the weight for each stock. Instead of selecting the top 30 stocks, I will only choose the top 20, and I will apply an equal weight allocation in the portfolio to each of them. Backtesting how this would have worked out if I had originally set up the portfolio this way has led to favorable results. Having an equal weight allocation with just 20 stocks sounds a lot cleaner too. Each stock will make up 5% of the portfolio, opposed to the unequal and rounded weights I am using right now. It will also be much easier to implement in M1 Finance that doesn't let you use decimal points for setting the allocation percentage to any given stock. I've been testing how an equal weight allocation to all 30 stocks in this portfolio would have worked out since November. The equal weight allocation would have performed better during 5 out of the last 9 months which means that during 4 months, the actual asset allocation I used yielded better results. When I combine the returns for all 9 months, the equal weight allocation is performing 3.36% better than the actual allocation. This suggests that not only did it take extra work on my part to use the float-adjusted market caps to set the original allocation, it led to a worse outcome. The other thing to consider here is when I used the float-adjusted market cap to set the initial allocation, it distorted the original rank of all 30 chosen stocks so it didn't matter which stock ranked number 1 or number 30. Its weight in the portfolio was determined by which company was bigger. When looking at the combined 9-month return for all 30 stocks sorted by the original rank, it's pretty clear that higher-ranked stocks have performed better than lower-ranked stocks. The average return for the top 15-ranked stocks is 32.71%, while the average return for the bottom 15-ranked stocks is just 19.91%, with the combined return for all 30 stocks being 26.31%. I do realize though that the results of the past 9 months could be a coincidence. And perhaps there is no merit to selecting the stocks based on rank versus using their market caps. But looking at each individual month, the top 20 ranked stocks continually outperformed the actual portfolio during months when the returns were positive. They also happened to see larger losses during months when returns were negative. This points to the fact that a 20 stock portfolio would likely be more volatile than the 30 stock portfolio. But considering the fact that over long periods of time, there are far more months of positive market returns than negative market returns, in the long run, the more volatile portfolio should hypothetically perform better. The past is never indicative of the future, but we must make decisions in real time based on something, so I've decided to use this limited amount of data to drive my decision to narrow the list of chosen stocks to just the top 20 and shift to an equal weight portfolio in the next rebalancing window. Alright, let me briefly talk about the best performing stocks in this portfolio and some of the losers thus far. 
Then I'll talk about the dividends this portfolio has paid and the dividend growth it has generated thus far. And I'll wrap things up with the most recent list of stocks selected by the strategy at the end of July. The best performing stock in this portfolio between November of 2022 and July 2023 was LAM Research that is up 79.26%. In a close second place, we have Applied Materials that is up 72.97%. The next three stocks are all up more than 60%. In third place, we have Monolithic Power Systems that is up 65.8%. In a close fourth place, we have KLA Corporation up 64.08%. And rounding up to top 5, we have Taiwan Semiconductor, up 63.56%. Out of all 30 stocks, only 3 have seen a negative return thus far. The third worst stock in the portfolio is Rollins, that is down 1.99%. The second worst stock is Lockheed Martin, that is down 6.49%. And the biggest loser is Infosys, that is down 9.85%. The actual portfolio has a market value just shy of $2,200. And its projected annual dividend income is $45.73. The projected annual dividend income at portfolio launch in November was $43.31, which means, thus far, the annual dividend has increased by 5.59%. I have not added any capital to this portfolio since November, and I do not intend to add any new money at this time. Since inception, the portfolio has paid $30.42 in dividends, and it should finish its first year with a little more than $40 in total dividends. The dividend growth rate thus far has been a little lower than I initially expected, but I'll wait to judge the first year once it's officially over. I originally ran this stock selection process in October of 2022 and used it to create this portfolio. In May of this year, I decided to run the same process every month to see which stocks rank the highest right now. I've been doing this every month since and keeping a track record that I share on my Patreon page. I want to collect this data so that I can run additional tests to see if perhaps a more frequent rebalancing could yield even better results. So in future updates, I hope to share more information on that data analysis with you. If you're a Patreon member, you should already have access to this Google spreadsheet, where you can see the list for month end May, June, and July, along with the breakdown of which companies have moved up or down the list. I'll read off the top 20 tickers now from the most recent list as of month end July, and then I'll talk about some of the biggest movers. Number one is SQM. Then we have EOG, WSM, INFY, CNS, ADP, FAST. TXN, RHI, PAYX, MPWR, ODFL, HD, WSO, MAS, LRCX, ASML, LSTR, AVGO, and AMAT. Comparing the July list to the June list, WSM has moved up one spot from 4th to 3rd. ADP has also moved up one spot from 7th to 6th. Fastnell moved up three spots from 10th to 7th. Paychex moved up one spot from 11th to 10th. The largest drop amongst the top 20 was ASML that fell from 8th place to 17th place. The other big and notable change is that the original universe of stocks has shrunk from October of 2022 to today. The original universe was made up of 174 stocks. The lists for May and June only had 134 stocks. And we lost another one in July with the list only seeing 133 stocks. Each month, there are a few companies that drop off the list as they fail to meet the stock screening criteria and a few new companies pop onto the list as their long-term metrics improve. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the update. If you did, please do me a huge favor and give this podcast a 5-star rating. Thank you for listening.